I was reading a profile of Barry Hanna on Garden and Gun magazine's website. Not the magazine, for I don't subscribe to the magazine. Not that I wouldn't, just that I don't. But I was reading this profile that came out a year or two before he died, and he is quoted as saying, The kind of dream of the South is something I've resisted my entire career. It disgusts me. And being Southern isn't always a graceful adjective. It'll kill you sometimes. Often, it's shorthand for, don't bother reading this because it's just going to be a lot of porches and banjos. This sentiment is what allowed him to become so closely associated with Southern fiction as a genre, while at the same time redefining it entirely. And this is something for us all to aspire to in the new year. Don't you think? I think you should think this. I think this. Happy New Year, then. It's Tuesday, the 8th of January, 2013, and it's Miet's Bedtime Story Podcast. Water Liars by Barry Hanna When I am run down and flocked around by the world, I go down to Farty Cove, off the Yazoo River, and take my beer to the end of the pier, where the old liars are still snapping and wheezing at one another. The line-up is always different because they're always dying out or succumbing to constipation, etc., whereupon they go back to the cabins and wait for a good day when they can come out and lie again, leaning on the rail with coats full of bran cookies. The son of the man the cove was named for is often out there. He pronounces his name, Farté, with a great French stress on the last syllable. Otherwise you might laugh at his history, or ignore it in favour of the name as it's spelled on the sign. F-A-R-T-E I'm glad it's not my name. This poor, dignified man has had to explain his nobility to the semi-literate of half of America before he could even begin a decent conversation with them. On the other hand, Farte Jr., is a great liar himself. He tells about seeing ghost people around the lake and tells big, loose ones about the size of the fish that those ghosts took out of the Farte Cove in years past. Last year I turned thirty-three years old and, raised a Baptist, I had a sense of being Jesus and coming to something decided in my life, because we all know Jesus was crucified at thirty-three. It had all seemed especially important, what you do in this year, and wholly with meaning. On the morning after my birthday party, during which I and my wife almost drowned in vodka cocktails, we both woke up to the making of a truth session about the lovers we'd had before we met each other. I had a mildly exciting and usual history, and she had about the same, which surprised me. For ten years she'd sworn I was the first. I could not believe her history was exactly equal with mine. It hurt me to think that in the era when there were supposed to be virgins, she had allowed anyone but me, and so on. I was dazed and exhilarated by this information for several weeks. Finally it drove me crazy, and I came out to Farte Cove to rest, under the pretense of a fishing week with my chum, Wyatt. I'm still figuring out why I couldn't handle it. My sense of the past is vivid 
and slow. I hear every sign and see every shadow. The movement of every limb in every passionate event occupies my mind. I have a prurience on the grand scale. It makes no sense that I should be angry about happenings before she and I ever saw each other, yet I feel an impotent homicidal urge in the matter of her lovers. She has excused my episodes as the course of things, though she has a vivid memory too. But there is a blurred nostalgia women have that men don't. You could not believe how handsome and delicate my wife is, naked. I was driven wild by the bodies that had trespassed her twelve and thirteen years ago. My vacation at Farty Cove wasn't like that easy little bit you get as a rich New Yorker. My finances weren't in great shape. To be true, they were about in ruin, and I left the house knowing my wife would have to answer the phone to hold off, for instance, the phone company itself. Everybody wanted money, and I didn't have any. I was going to take the next week in the house while she went away, watch our three kids and all the rest. When you both teach part-time in the high schools, the income can be slow in summer. No poor mouthing here. I don't want anybody's pity. I just want to explain. I've got good hopes of a job over at Alabama next year. Then I'll get myself among higher-paid liars. That's all. Sidney Farty was out there prevaricating away at the end of the pier when Wyatt and I got there Friday evening. The old faces I recognised. A few new hankering idlers I didn't. Now, Dr. Mooney, he not only saw the ghost of Lily, he says he had intercourse with her, said it was involuntary. Before he knew what he was doing, he was on her making cadence and all their clothes blown away off in the trees around the shore. She turned into a wax candle right under him. Intercourse, said an old-timer, breathing heavy. He sat up on the rail. It was a word of high danger to his old mind. He said it with a long disgust. Glad, I guess, he was not involved. McIntyre, a Presbyterian preacher. I seen him come out here with his son-in-law, anchor near the bridge, and pull up fifty or more white perch, big as small pumpkins. You know what they was using for bait? What? asked another geezer. "'Nothing. Caught on the bare hook. "'It was God made them fish bite,' said Sidney Farty, going at it good. "'Nah. There be a season they bite a bare hook.' "'God didn't have to have done that,' said another old guy, "'with a fringe of red hair and a racy Florida shirt. "'Another night,' said Sidney Farty. "'I saw the ghost of Yazoo himself with my pa.' "'Who's dead? A Indian king with four deer around him.' "'The old boys seemed to be used to this one. "'Nobody said anything. They ignored Sidney. "'Tell you what,' said a well-built small old boy. "'That was something when we come down here "'and had to chase that whole high school party off the end of this pier, "'them drunken children.' 
They were smoking dope and two-thirds of them naked swimming in the water. Good hundred of them, from your so-called good high school. What you think's happening at the bad ones? I dropped my beer and grew suddenly sick. Wyatt asked me what was wrong. I could see my wife in 1960 and the group of high schoolers she must have had. My jealousy went out into the stars of the night above me. I could not bear the roving carelessness of teenagers, their judgeless tangling of wanting and bodies. But I was the worst back then. In the mad days back then, I dragged the panties off girls I hated and talked badly about them once the sun came up. Worst time in my life, said a new younger man. Maybe sixty, but with the face of a man who had surrendered. Me and Woody was fishing. Had a lantern. It was about eleven. We was catching a new fish, but rode on into that little cove over there near town. We heard all these sounds, like they was ghosts. We was scared. We thought it might be the Yazoo hisself. We known as some fellows the Yazoo had killed to death just from fright. It was the over the sounds of what was normal human sighing and a moaning. It was big, unhuman sounds. We just stood still in the boat. Ain't nothing else to do for thirty minutes. And what was it? said the old geezer, letting himself off the rail. We had a big flashlight. There came up this rustling in the brush, and I beamed it over there. The two of them making the sounds get up with half their clothes on. It was my own daughter, Charlotte, and an older guy. I didn't even know with a moustache. My own daughter, and them sounds over the water scaring us like ghosts. My God, that's awful, said the old geezer by the rail. Is that the truth? I wouldn't have told that. That's terrible. Sidney Fartay was really upset. This ain't the place, he said. Tell your kind of story somewhere else. The old man who'd told the story was calm and fixed to his place. He'd told the truth. The crowd on the pier was outraged and discomfited. He wasn't one of them. But he stood his place. He had a distressed pride. You could see he had never recovered from the thing he'd told about. I told Wyatt to bring the old man back to the cabin— he was out here away from his wife, the same as me and Wyatt, just an older guy with a big hurting bosom. He wore a suit, and the only way you'd know he was on vacation was he removed his tie. He didn't know where the beard house was. He didn't know what to do on vacation at all. But he got drunk with us, and I can tell you he and I went out the next morning with our poles, Wyatt driving the motorboat, fishing for white perch in the cove near the town and we were kindred. We were both crucified by the truth.'